Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. Amen. Aren't you thankful we're made new in Jesus Christ and how he has uh, changed us from who we were uh, to now who we are in Jesus Christ and, and made righteousness because of him. And I'm thankful for that today. Thank you for joining with us. Hope you'll take your Bibles with me. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. We're going to get right into the word today. And uh, as we continue our series in the book of Acts, last week was such a blessing as we celebrated six years here at City Baptist. What a testimony of God's grace for what he has done uh, here in this place. And I don't know about you, but I left last week encouraged about the future and looking forward to what God has for us today. Thanks for being here in this room, in the next room. And those of you that are watching online, I'm glad that you're here with us today. But we're going to continue our study in Acts chapter 20. But I want to ask you a quick question as we get started today. The first uh, the thing I want to ask you is this. Have you ever uh, been in a situation or, ha- or do you remember possibly being in a situation where you thought to yourself as you were with someone, uh, maybe that you love, someone that you were close to, and you thought to yourself, this is probably the last time I'm ever going to see this person. Have you been in a situation like that? I've certainly been in situations where I did not know this was going to be the last time I saw that person. And tragically, an accident or something happened, and I I did not know that that was the moment, the last time I would spend with them. But for some of you, and myself included, we've had those moments where we have been with somebody, and we knew, we knew that this would be the last time that I ever got to spend with them or ever got to be with them. I remember, for me, one of the more, um, um, I guess, poignant uh, uh, moments in my life was when I was just finished up with uh, college and uh, we were, I was headed home for a few weeks, and then I was flying to my first ministry job. I was moving uh, down to the U.S. for my first job right out of ministry or right out of college, the first one in ministry. And uh, my grandfather had not been doing very well, and so my parents and family had come down for my graduation. And we drove um, over to see my uh, grandma and grandpa, and my grandfather was really in the last stages of cancer at that point. Uh, while we were there, you know, we, we got to spend a lot of family time and be there with him, and he was able to communicate and all of that. He wasn't uh, uh, completely out, but I, I just remember one evening, probably I think the night or two before we left, I got up in the middle of the night. It would have been two or three in the morning. I went into um, the main living room, which is where his hospital bed was, as he was in his last, uh, last few days, really, uh, days and months, and I remember sitting there next to him, and he was asleep, and I was sitting there with him, and I remember just being overcome with emotion. As a 22-year-old man, I remember just sitting there just weeping and crying because I recognized that'd be the last time this side of heaven that I'd see him. And uh, I I remember how powerful that was in my life. And I also remember how uh, much I uh, looked back on those last few days that we spent together and and the memories we had. And if you knew uh, my grandfather, he was hilarious. Uh, He was a really funny guy. He was my step-grandpa. He was the only grandpa I ever knew. And he loved me like I was his, his, his real grandchild, and I'm so thankful for him um, and his influence in my life. But man, the, those last few moments with him were just, uh, just powerful, and they're moments that I won't forget. You know, as we come to our passage today, what we are going to do is we are going to experience, in a very unique way, the Apostle Paul in his last few moments with the Ephesian elders. If you remember the story, he is traveling now on his way to Jerusalem for the first time in quite a while. Along the way, he did not have time to go to Ephesus to meet with the leaders there, but instead, as he ported in Miletus, the city of Miletus, he waited for them, or he waited to take his next ship, and he invited the leaders from Ephesus to come down and to spend some time with him. Now, last week, we began his uh, time with them as he spoke to those leaders there in Miletus before he left, and if you remember from last week, he uh, took this time, and, and to them, I think it would have been an unexpected time maybe, but he took this time to share with them his passion to serve the Lord. 
And he also talked about how his passion to serve the Lord came directly from the fact that he prioritized the gospel in his life. And so because of the priority of the gospel, it developed a passion within him, which then led him to persevere, even though he knew the future was going to be difficult. If you remember, he had told them that by the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he was going to be imprisoned, uh, that he was going to go through many trials as he continued on his journey after this third missionary trip. And so even though he said, because of the gospel, because of what God has called me to do, he said, I'm going to persevere into the future no matter what comes my way. But then as we come to verse number 25 today of Acts chapter 20, we see the apostle Paul drop sort of a proverbial bomb in the room at that moment. And uh, look what he says. He says, and now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. So he says, I know that you, those that I have preached uh, the, the gospel to, he says this, he says, you shall see my face. Say that with me, no more. He says, I have been here, I have preached, I have proclaimed the word of God, but you shall see my face no more. Now, I, I wonder what it would have been like to be in the room. You know, I was thinking this week, you know, what would it have been like to be a fly or, or a moth on the wall, you know, uh, in that moment and be in the room as the Apostle Paul sort of lays it down. He had, he had been explaining so much to them. He'd been encouraging them. But then he says, I want you to know this is going to be the last time that we're going to spend together. I, I know for a fact that a seriousness would have just swept through the room, swept through the room. Uh, as those that were there, maybe the one in the room who was kind of like, when's lunch? <laughs> you know, the one who was kind of antsy, all right, Paul, what's going on here? As he said, this is the last time that we're together, as that person sort of then sat up and leaned forward. There was a seriousness to what was happening here. And as Paul begins his final words to those Ephesian elders, I want you to feel the seriousness of the moment as well. Because the topic we're going we're gonna to cover today is a serious topic. It's an important topic to the local church. And so as he begins to share with them some final thoughts and instructions and encouragement, he begins by making a pretty incredible statement in verse 26. He says, wherefore I take you to record this day. He says, I want you to take note that I am pure from the blood of all men. What a statement. I am free from the blood of all men, he says, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Really what he does is he makes an astounding statement here. He says, I am free from anyone who might die and not know Christ. He said, I am free from that. And the reason I'm free from that is because I have not shunned, I have not avoided, I have not neglected sharing the whole counsel of God with those people. In essence, he's saying to us, when opportunities came into his life, he did not walk away from those opportunities. He sounded the alarm. He shared with them Jesus Christ. Later on, we're going to see him use the term of the idea of being a watchman. And I believe what is happening here is he's connecting it back to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter number 33. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet called from God, and God directly said to him, he said, you are a watchman. What that means is he's the person, uh, he's the first line of defense in essence. He's the one on the wall. He's the one looking for the enemy. He's the one who is to sound the alarm. And God had said to Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 33, 6, he said, uh, um, he said here, but if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman. 
henchman's hand. What is he saying to him? He's saying, listen, if you know that there is something coming and you fail to warn those people, if anyone dies because of what comes, he's saying the watchman is the one responsible for it. Now, in a spiritual application for us, the idea is, is that we as Christians today who know the truth of Jesus Christ, we are the watchmen. We are the ones who are to sound the warning that, that eternity is coming, that the sword is coming, judgment is coming, and we're to be the ones who are to be sharing the truth as we can, and as God gives us opportunity, we are to be sharing that. Now, I know what happens is that when we hear these truths and we read these stories, what happens is there's a sort of a part of us that, that kind of develops a bit of a legalistic mindset in the sense of that, that I have to tell everybody that I come in contact with, else they are all, their blood is on my head and I am guilty of the blood. And so then two things happen. We never share or we, or we overwhelm people or kind of get uncomfortable about it, right? Here's what we understand. First of all, Christ is the one who does the saving, isn't he? Jesus is the one who saves. And so a person's salvation is not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon what Christ has already done. But I will say this. God does give us opportunities as Christians to share his truth, doesn't he? Man, there have been so many times in my life where God has spoken through his spirit to me and said, you need to talk to this person. And I have said, no way. And I've not, and I've not shared the truth to that person. There have been times, though, however, I'm thankful for that God has spoken to me and I have shared the truth with them. And they have rejected me or they've listened or they said, I'll, I'll listen again or I'll, I'll consider this. But at that point, what I know is that at that point, like Paul, I can say I, I'm free from that because I did what God called me to do. And that's what Paul's saying. He said, I did what God has called me to do. I have shared the truth. I have, I have told them. And so he says, I'm free from the blood of all men. I wonder if we can say the same thing today. I was so convicted this week in my study as I thought about this, as Paul said, I can leave Ephesus with nothing, no regrets, because I have followed, I have preached the whole council, I have done what God has called me to do as a believer of Jesus Christ. And to me, that is a powerful, it is a motivating statement that he makes right at the very beginning of this sort of final stage with the Ephesian elders. Now, everyone, like I mentioned, everybody understood the significance of the moment. I think they were leaning in, they were listening, they were paying attention, they were ready to hear what Paul had. And so Paul then took the rest of his time to offer encouragement and to offer warnings to those who were leading the church in Ephesus. And specifically what he's about to talk about is he is giving warnings and encouragement and teachings to the leadership of the church there in Ephesus. And so today, what I want you to know is that today's message is for the pastor today, all right? <laughs> today's message is for me. So I'm going to preach to myself for a little bit. By the way, I do that every week, just so you know. Uh, but I'm going to preach to myself a little bit. And, and that doesn't mean that you can just sit back and be like, get him, you know, <laughs> get him, pastor. Uh, that's, uh, th that's not the point of today's message. The point of, uh, of the, today's message is that we as a church family understand what God has called the leadership of his church to do. And this expands not, not just beyond me. It expands to anybody who's in leadership, whether you teach in a class or you help out in a certain way, you serve the Lord. And there's application for all of us today. But primarily, he is speaking to the elders, the presbyterios, the uh, pastors, the bishops, all those different words that we see in the New Testament. He is speaking specifically to them on this subject of leadership. And the point of it is this. It is for accountability. It is so that they understand what they are to do. They understand what God has called them to do. And for us as a church, I'm sharing this with you today. I'm not skipping over this passage today because I want you to know what God has called me to do. I want you to know the, the, the things that God has led us to and not just so that you can be like, uh, Pastor, remember that message, what you said, and you're, you're not doing this. Believe me, I know how I have failed as a pastor more than you know. 
But I'll tell you this today, it's not just so that we can be like, yes, this is, you know, you're not doing your job or whatever it may be. The reason is so that you can come alongside and support and love and pray for those that are in leadership here at City Baptist Church and support them with the right spirit. Because I know that it's one of the great temptations of life is to always assume that we can do a better job than someone else. (laughs) Isn't that funny about us, right? Uh, I think it starts very young as you're a teenager and you're like, my parents don't know what they're doing. (laughs) I could be a better parent and unfortunately, actually, it starts quite a bit younger. The other day, uh, we told Royal, he's three. So uh, Royal, he's running, and Jeanette said to him, stop running and get hit by a car. And he says, I'm not going to be hit by a car. What's he saying? He's saying, I know better than you, Mom. It starts very early on, but it starts as a child. And then later on, as you're a student, you know, and you're sitting there in your class, and you're like, this teacher is just an idiot. You know, they, they don't know what they're doing, and you have this bad attitude towards them. And then it carries on to you being an employee, and you're like, my boss has no hot clue how to run this company. He doesn't know what he's doing, and uh, you're critical of the boss, and, and, uh, and, and, and you're like, man, this guy doesn't know what he does. But the problem is, is sometimes that attitude comes into the church body where the church family is like, pastor doesn't know I could do a better job than the pastor. Whoa. I could do a better job. And, and I'm going to tell you this. You may be right. You may be be a better boss than your boss. You may be a better uh, uh, parent than your parents. You may be a better uh, uh, pastor than your pastor. Um, But at this point in your life, uh, I'm the one that God has called to lead our church family. and, And that's just sort of what it is right now, right? But here's my point. I have a bigger point than that, of course. <laughs> it's not that I'm the pastor and you're not the pastor. That's not the point at all, okay? As a church family, you have every right to get together and vote me out, okay? Uh, but don't, please don't do that right now, okay? All right? <laughs> um, there has to be cause. Here we go. What was I trying to get to? Oh, here's the point. I have, an act, I have a point here. The point is, is that at some point in life, though, you do become the parent. You become the boss. You become the leader. And then you begin to understand in a greater way the responsibility and the weight of that responsibility. I always find it so interesting that uh, as parents, you know, the, uh, when, you're, when you're a young couple and you don't have any kids, you're like, man, I'm going to be these. And you look at others with kids and you're like, I will never do that, you know, and I will not. And then what's so funny is as you begin to have one kid and two kids, or you, you know, have a few more, what happens is when you go to the store and you see another family with three kids or more, you give each other these slow knowing nods to each other <laughs> because you recognize it's not as easy as we thought it would be. Uh, this week, uh, Lauren, uh, we were at, uh, with Lauren and John, and, you know, they, they have Natalie, and she's so cute. I'm like, she's so cute. She, she's like, oh, she is not always so cute, you know? And she said to Jeanette, she's like, man, before we had Natalie, we were like, we, were gonna, we got it all figured out, you know? We're going to be the perfect baby. We're going to be perfect parents. And she's like, I realize I don't really know very much at all. And that's what happens as you feel that weight. It changes you. And the same thing uh, when, when you move up in your, uh, in your job, and you become now the boss, and you have people working for you, and you feel the weight of the responsibility that the decisions you make are going to affect their livelihoods and their families. And you feel that weight and you're like, oh man, that's a lot of responsibility. I know people in my own life who, who were promoted to high, high levels and they were like, it was too much for me. And so they actually stepped back in that because then they felt that responsibility. Well, when you get to those positions, you begin to understand those kind of things. When you begin to move up and you have maybe a more of a leadership role in a church family and you begin to understand the weight of the decisions and the weight of the accountability, what it does is it helps you to then empathize a little bit more. 
helps you to empathize and understand a little bit more. And that's the point for today's message is that all of us would understand the responsibilities of church leadership so that we can empathize with, so that we can pray for, and so that we can encourage them as they serve the Lord and serve our church family because we're all human, right? We are all just regular people trying to serve the Lord and God's, in God's will and in God's wisdom, he gives us certain responsibilities and, and privileges. And so we need to be encouraging and pray for one another in that way. Like I said, today's message is not a hype piece for me, okay, <laughs> at all whatsoever. But what it is, is for us to understand and appreciate the importance God places on a faithful, spirit-led team within the church body. And so I want to get right into the message. Paul here is speaking to them. He says, he already said, you're not going to see me again. And this is what I want to tell you. Number one, he says, church leaders need to be vigilant. Say vigilant with me. Vigilant. Church leaders need to be vigilant. They need to be aware, paying attention. Look at verse number 28. He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now, let me just stop right here. It is the Holy Spirit. I believe what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one, God is the one who leads and calls and directs his servants to certain places. And, and I'll just tell you from my own personal experience, the only reason that I am here today and preaching is because God led me to this place. A clear leading from the Holy Spirit as an 18-year-old, God began to work in my heart and to point me in a direction that I never would have chosen for myself, just so you know. I don't like public speaking, okay? And so, that's what he, and so God did this. And so we know that the Holy Spirit is the one that leads a church body and leads them to uh, allow them to be overseers. That's the same word uh, that we've been looking at. But also it says, made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Verse 29, for I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, there's that word in verse 31, and remember, so watch, pay attention, remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, at this point, what we know about the church in Ephesus is that it was a very healthy church. We know that. We know they had good leadership. We know that, of course, Paul had just been there recently. But Paul understood there would be attacks and there would be dangers. Whenever a healthy church is thriving and moving forward for the Lord, attacks are going to come. And I don't know if Paul exactly knew what lay ahead for him, but he did know that there would be trouble. Now, interestingly enough, in the book of Revelation later on, we know that difficulty did come and they even struggled as a church. In Revelation chapter number two, this is God speaking about the church in Ephesus specifically. He said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Now think about that. God had something against the church in Ephesus. What was it? Well, because thou hast left thy first love. Thou hast left thy first love. You have forgotten the things that you had started out on, the things that Paul had taught you, the things that God had called you to do. He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Aren't you thankful God always gives us an opportunity to repent? This church had fallen away, but God says, repent, do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. The idea, I'm gonna, I'm gonna snuff out your light there in that city unless you repent and return to God. And so what we know, 
know is that there were some trials. We know that the church did lose its course and that that was a danger ahead. And so Paul here is telling these leaders, be vigilant. And he gives to them three different ways that they are to be vigilant. And the reason, he also gives them the reason why they should be vigilant. And that's in verse number 28. I want you to see at the very end of the verse, he says, you're to be vigilant because uh, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now I want you to get this today. The reason that we're talking about this today, the reason that church leadership is important, the reason that uh, uh, we need to be vigilant as a church family and as leaders is because this is the church of God that he purchased with his own blood. Yes, he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. He died to give us grace so we can uh, be forever righteous with God, but he also, on his time in time on earth, established a local church. And when he died, he gave himself for that so that the church could remain and be the the bearer of the truth and the pillar and ground of the truth, as Scripture tells us. And so this is a very serious and a very noble thing that we are doing to protect and to be vigilant because this is the church of God that he gave his life for. Think about that for a moment. The church is precious. He say, we're just meeting in a tap dance studio with dirty floors and tape on the floor, and there's people in that room, and there's people online, and we can't even fit everybody together. Listen, this is a precious thing that is happening right here. And we must never lose sight. Don't ever have a low view of the church of God. You may have a low view of your pastor, but don't ever have a low view of the church of God. Listen, this is an important thing. And God's church is where it's at. (laughs) And so we must be vigilant and we must care for it. We must protect it. We must love it deeply. And Paul says, be vigilant. And he gives us three ways. Here's, Here's how they should be vigilant as leaders. They, first of all, must be vigilant for danger within their own hearts. Notice how he said in the beginning of verse 28, he says, take heed therefore unto yourselves, first of all. He says, pay attention to yourself, first of all. See what, if there be any wicked way in you. Search your heart. Know, uh, know the motives. One of the greatest battles that happens in Christian leadership is the battle for the heart and for the mind. We know that there is temptation. We know that there is sin that is constantly in the forefront of all of our minds. But there's also the battle as a Christian leader in the areas of pride and of apathy, of a thinking that you've arrived or a thinking that, uh, you know, what's the point anyway? Nobody's paying attention. And, and, And some people have the wrong impression that pastors are somehow above or never face temptation. I love those kind of conversations with new Christians when they're like, you don't understand what I'm going through, you know? I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) I understand the attacks. I know what it's like to uh, be uh, attacked on all sides and from every different way. And and, uh, I would say this, that most people think that, oh, pastors, they don't fight temptation. They don't struggle. Leadership, they're always super spiritual. But the opposite, honestly, is true. Satan knows that if he can bring down the leader, this is a well-worn military tactic, (laughs) If you can bring down the leader that the, the others may scatter, the others may fall, and, and that it'll cause a, 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 a fallout. It's so interesting to me over the years. I mean, I grew up as a pastor's kid, as you guys know, and I'm so thankful for the faithfulness of my father and his 37 years of ministry. What a testimony he is. But all throughout those years growing up in church and kind of seeing the inner workings and the background of how churches work, I was so, it's so amazing to me as I look back over the years of how many countless pastors and others in church leadership had failures and, and moral failings and things that uh, took them out of the ministry and the impact that it made on their church family and their church body. It's devastating. This week I was listening to a podcast and the podcast subject was with the son of a famous pastor who had a great moral failing, who was in prison for that failing. I say failure for sin, sorry, sin. And he's in prison for his sin and how it affected a church of many, many thousands of people 
and how it's affected them. And here they are 11 years later, still talking about the impacts of it. 11 years later, people that were close to me and close to my family uh, that uh, uh, were in such great sin that they took their own lives and affected so many other people. I mean, it's just unreal. And it's because Satan is constantly attacking. He's constantly going after spiritual leaders. He's going after you too, by the way. So don't think that great pastor's going to handle it all. He's going after you. But man, there's like a special place in his heart for Christian leaders. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul just for a moment. Think about how his entire ministry was full of difficulty, full of trials, full of physical and, and, and internal. And, and I mean, so many different struggles that he went through. And so we must pray for those in spiritual leadership that they keep their hearts clean and pure before the Lord. Man, that's a, such a prayer of my heart. And a big part of my weekend and Sunday mornings is spent in prayer, searching my heart and saying, Lord, I don't want to preach this message out of anger. I don't want to preach this message out of pride. I don't want to preach this message out of frustration or discouragement or whatever it may be. I want to be pure. I want to be right before you, Lord, as I come. And I would ask that you pray for that for me as well. Because there is a great internal struggle that is happening. And so he says, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's what he says. <laughs> you need to look internally. You need to pay attention to what it is that God has called you to do because there are spiritual battles that are very unique to the calling of God. He says, beware of dangers within your own heart. But then he also says, beware because there are dangers without. Be vigilant. Vigilant, there are dangers without. Notice how he said in 28, all the flock. And then in verse number 39, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. This is key, not sparing the flock. They do not care about you. These wolves that will come into the church. For the Christian leader, we know throughout Scripture, there is a clear connection uh, by calling the pastor or the leadership as shepherds. The shepherds and the flock of God, that is the church that they have responsibility of. Now, the, as the pastor and the leaders, they are to be the ones feeding and caring and leading the flock. We saw that. But another big responsibility is protecting the flock from attacks from without. Listen, church, I take very seriously the responsibility to protect you against anyone or against anything that would desire to come and destroy and bring harm to the flock of God here at City Baptist Church. I take that very, very seriously. There are those that would desire to bring and sow discord within the church body. There are those that would love to come in and bring divisiveness to teach false doctrine. There are those that would love to come in and try through their own pride to try to undermine the leadership that God has given uh, to them. And I got to tell you, like David went after the lion after he, as he went after the bear, uh, that's my calling as a leader to be aware and protect you from danger from the outside. You say, Pastor Paul, I got this. I'm all good on my own. <laughs> I get that. But man, it's sure nice to have somebody come alongside you, isn't it? And sometimes there are dangers. There are things that maybe you aren't even aware of that I am actively pursuing to keep away and to protect us as a church body. That's why sometimes in a message, I may warn against a false doctrine that's out there. I may warn against a, a false teacher that's finding popularity online or whatever it may be. There are dangers associated with it. That's why there are on occasion, sometimes um, it's better sometimes if somebody uh, doesn't even maybe stay in the fellowship, if there's a danger of being a future problem. You say, do you run people out of the church? No, I don't. I've never done that. But I'll tell you this, there are sometimes situations that, that come up, I'll share one here maybe in a minute, but there's situations that sometimes come up, maybe people from the outside who show up, and, and I've had this, people come to, come to the church and they tell me how, how I, am, I will be your greatest supporter, pastor. 
I've had that said to me before. That's like a warning bells right there. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> uh, what you say, because you resist it? No, just because oftentimes there's an agenda behind that. And that's proven itself to me multiple times, okay? Now, that doesn't mean you can't tell me, Pastor, I'm supporting you. I love you. Please tell me that, right? I know you. But for someone on their first Sunday to tell me that, that's something to, you know, pay attention to, okay? Uh, but there are dangers from without. And actively, we need to be aware and vigilant of those dangers. But Letter C, we also need to be vigilant for dangers from within. And this is often where churches really, really lose out and really begin to crumble because it comes from within. In verse 30, he said, also of your own selves. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the leadership. He says, from some of you, the leadership, shall men arise speaking perverse things. That's not perverted things. That's just in error, wrong things, subtle things, lies, to draw away disciples after them. Get this. The divisiveness that comes from within is often sowed with a reason, and the prideful heart behind it is to make disciples of their own or to have people come with them, okay? Therefore, watch. There's that word. He says to those leaders, you need to watch. Uh, and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. He says, listen, there's an element of urgency to this. There's a passion that's behind this to be warning and to be looking out. You know, later on when Paul wrote the book of Timothy, uh, Timothy was the pastor of Ephesus. And what we see in First and Second Timothy is Paul actually warning Timothy and telling him about issues that he needs to handle within his church. Because what had happened is that there was a divisiveness that came from within. There came people that were uh, trying to lead others away, and the church moved into a se- uh, sort of a man-centered uh, type of Christianity. And so I got to tell you, Paul is not exaggerating the threat from within. You say, well, Pastor, what is, listen, we must just always be aware. This is, by the way, not licensed for us to be suspicious of one another, right? Always like, hmm, what do they mean by that? You know, they must be divisive. No, 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 no. We need to be aware uh, of just, and be on the alert, and especially for the leaders, that they know uh, uh, what is happening within the church body. In Proverbs, it tells me as a pastor to know the state of the flock, meaning I need to know what's going on. In other words, part of the church leader's role is to pay attention to possible division within the church family. It could be something as simple as like a personality thing, or, or it could be as bad as somebody trying to teach false doctrine or try to uh, build a crowd around themselves. Uh, typically, that happens against leadership or other leadership, and they try to build you know, from within, and often they try to establish their own disciples within an established church. And, uh, and why is that? Because they're trying to get affirmation for who they are and the decisions that they have made. And, and, and as, a young, as a young pastor, one of the warnings that was given to me multiple times from mature pastors was this. As a, early, as a young church and as a young pastor, you said you need to really be aware that sometimes if it's a new church, people come in and the, the desire is to try to influence you, is to try to influence a, a new church plant. And so they feel like, oh, if I join up with them, I'll be able to have some influence. And man, it proved itself to be true. I remember uh, when we first got started, there was a, a, um, a, a couple of people that came to the church and um, and uh, super nice. And when you start a church, by the way, you're like, yeah, anyone, any warm body, you know, that hits the room is a, such a blessing. And, and obviously, we don't turn people away or anything like that. You guys realize that. But uh, all of a sudden, they left the church. They came for maybe, I don't know, six months or so, left the church. And I was like, what happened, you know? And I got this really long email, you know. Uh, and in the email, it said all of these things, you know. Um, but then at the end of the email, basically, they said the reason, the main reason we left is because we thought 
This is the, this is the, the, the thought. We thought that we would have more influence in the direction and decisions of the church. And because that's not happening, we're going to go somewhere else. And I remember it struck me, and I thought about those warnings I'd received from pastors, and I was like, well, wait a minute. Well, first of all, they weren't members of the church, so that's kind of a, you know, you don't even want to join the church, but you want to have influence. And then second of all, uh, they didn't really come to church very often. It was pretty sporadic, you know, and they came, and, and, uh, and I was like, okay. I, but, but the point was they came strictly to have influence to me and, and influence in the church. And I was, I was kind of amazed by that, but I, I, rem, I was reminded of that. Now, obviously, we know that Satan loves to subvert from within. We know that. And if we're going to continue to experience joy in serving our city together and serving one another, we have to be vigilant for enemies that come up. By the way, they can even spring within our own heart. He said some, some of you even in the leadership. And so that deals again with the heart and, and our motivation and to, and to, to be on, on the lookout and to be aware of things that may come up from within. And Paul here says you got to be vigilant for those things. you got to be vigilant for those things. And I would encourage you with this. Listen, if there's ever a time that uh, you feel that uh, what you believe or maybe something, uh, some preference or something that you have doesn't line up with the church, and, it's, and it comes to such a place that you're like, I can't go to that church anymore, the biblical thing and what we learn from here is for you to leave quietly. Does that make sense? Not to reach out to others and try to build a following, right? Because that's often what happens. I'm going to get some people around me who, who want to be a part of what I'm doing or maybe empathize with me or maybe have the same problem that I have. And I'm going to sort of build this little group. And that's how really, really bad and terrible church splits and difficult situations happen. Unfortunately, some of you have maybe walked through that and experienced that. It's terrible. I remember that uh, in, in, in one of my uh, uh, opportunities in ministry, you go to church, you know, and there's like, where's like 35 people are missing? Like what happened? <laughs> and there was a, some subversion that happened that built a crowd and then let's stage a walkout, <laughs> you know? Let's protest the church of God that he bought with his blood with our own poor attitudes. <laughs> wow, I'm sure that went really well. Lots of blessing flows from those kind of situations. I'm being facetious, you know what I'm saying, right? All I'm saying is we need to be aware of our own hearts, right? And I would say if you're not following Matthew 18, which is to go to the person that's offended you, go to the person that you have a problem with, even if it's the pastor, even if it's leadership and say, hey, this is, and working through it in a biblical way, that's the way to do it, first of all, okay? We've all seen it done wrongly, haven't we? The point of Matthew 18 is restoration in the body, isn't it? It's all about restoration. And you say, man, pastor, is something going on? Not that I know of, okay? So if, maybe, maybe, maybe you'll come talk to me after church. I don't know. I hope not. I don't know. I'm just saying this is what the Word of God says, and so we're going to preach it, right? And that's the great thing about the Word of God. Sometimes you hit uncomfortable subjects, and it's not just because, you know, I feel like we need to talk about Christian's dissension, you know, or whatever it is. So I'm just joking. <laughs> all right. <laughs> He's all like, wait a minute. What are you talking about? All right. So Paul is like, listen, you got to be vigilant. you got to pay attention. you gotta, you got to watch out. But then secondly, he says church leaders must be committed, Church leaders must be committed. And first of all, he says you need to be committed to God and to his word of grace. I love this, what he says in verse number 32. And now, brethren, I commend you. That's the key word. I commend you to God 
and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Now, the word there, the translated command, means to set before. Now, this is key. Don't, don't miss the visual picture of this. He says, I now, he says, I'm leaving. You're never going to see me again. And I'm going to commend you. I'm going to place you before, he says here, God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Now, there's the connection here. He says, I'm going to put you, and I'm going to set you before God. God is the one who's able to build you up. Did you see that? He's the one who can build you up. And he says, and before the word of grace, which is what gave you the inheritance. There's a connection between those phrases there. And so he's saying, listen, I'm leaving, but you, I am placing you, right? I am setting you before God, and I'm making it about him. And that's what it needs to be. It needs to be about God. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, listen, guys, I'm leaving. It's not about me. It's not about me as an individual. It's not about me as a leader. I don't want you leading the church of Ephesus always wondering, what would Paul say or what would Paul do? That's not what it's about. He's saying, listen, you need, to be, you need to follow God. He is the one who can strengthen you. He's the one who has power. He's the one who has his presence. He's the one that can give you what you need to build you up and keep you strong. But at the same time, you don't need to forget about the word of grace, which is what led you to salvation, which gave you that righteousness of God in him, that, that, that salvation that can lead you to lead others with grace and with the Holy Spirit. And so he says, you've got to be committed to those things. Be committed to God. And so he says, I commend you. I leave you with that. Paul's desire uh, was that it would be based off of God and not off of him. He's reminding them that we do not live and carry out our responsibilities as Christians alone. Jesus is with us, and Jesus is the one who builds the church. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5, he talks about our, our lifestyle, our conversation, that it be without covetousness. And then he says, be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And we love that. And that's all over Instagram. And, you know, we love that principle of not forsaking. That means he doesn't turn his back to us. And, and, and we love that. I mean, we think that's great. But look at verse 6. Here's the key for that. He's not going to leave us nor forsake us so that there's a purpose to it is so that you can boldly say, you can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And Paul is saying to them, listen, it's all about Jesus. It's not about a personality or a person. It is about Jesus Christ. And so instead of committing yourselves to a person or a, or a failed personality or a sinner, just like you are, instead of committing to that person, you got to commit to God and the word of his grace. It is that what brings Christian leaders the assurance and the comfort when the weight of shepherding the flock is too much to bear in your own strength. You've got to be trusting God. You've got to be lifted up by him and remember the principle behind all of it, which is the testimony and his grace for you. You've got to be committed to that. But he also says to be committed to living for others. You've got to be as a leader committed to living for others. Verse 33, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Oh man, that's a tough one. Can I, can I say that? I have not coveted somebody. You know, I'm going to be like, whoa, those are some sweet kicks, <laughs> right? He says, I haven't. I haven't. Well, that's a very strong statement. Yea, he says, ye yourselves know that these hands, talking of his own hands, have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. Verse 35, I have showed you all things. How that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul here reminds us of the character of his ministry, which is that it was not about him. He did not do it for his own gain. It was not about what he coveted or what he desired. He worked to pay his own way, and then he used what God had given to him to help minister to others and to be a blessing to those uh, that were weak. And he closes there with the words of Christ where he says, it is more blessed to give to receive. It's so interesting about that phrase. That's not recorded for us anywhere in the Gospels. Did you know that? 
History tells us that that was a, something Christ said that was passed down through oral tradition. This is something that Jesus used to often say that is more blessed to give than to, than, than to receive. By the way, remember John 21 where he says that if we wrote everything that Jesus said, it would fill all the books in the world. So we know Jesus said other things that were just, than just what was in the Gospels, right? And so this is one of those things. And he says it's ble- more blessed to give to receive. What is he saying here? You're like, why is he putting in that he gave and he served on his own? You know, we know that these leaders of the church would have been supported by the church family, yet Paul chose to work. You know, there's all these different things here. What's going on? What is he trying to say? He's saying to them, listen, your life is not your own is what he's trying to say. And so following in his example, you are to be about building up others, not about yourself. It's always more blessed of a situation to be giving than trying to receive all of the time. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, uh, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? He says that, listen, you are not your own. This is a, this is a verse that my dad quotes to me uh, very often when we have discussions about ministry. He always says, remember, you are not your own. You are not your own. You are not your own. Why? Because you are bought with a price. And because I'm bought with a price, we're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which is God's. And so Paul is saying to those that are in Christian leadership, those that desire to be in Christian leadership, and that may be some of you today, and I hope that you do. I hope that you have a desire, and that's what I want to see our church, developing leaders and people coming along in leadership. But the one thing that you need to recognize and you need to desire in your heart and you need to get as clear as possible is that your life is not your own. It is not your own, and the reason is is because Jesus Christ paid for it with his blood. And because of that, your job is to glorify him, not glorify yourself. And that's not just a a, a principle dedicated to pastors, just so you know. It is one that's given to all of us that we are to be glorifying and lifting up God and honoring him with our body and with our spirit, our actions and our thoughts. And for Paul, he viewed the sacrifice of self in the same light of Jesus acknowledging that it's better to give than to receive. You say, well, how is he viewing that? Well, he's viewing it in this way, in a sacrificial way, right? Jesus gave his life without expectation of return. He gave his life for us, and Paul says, I'm going to give my life for others in the same way without expectation of return. I'm going to be committed to serving other people, not serving ourselves. And so he gave uh, them this knowledge, and he says, I want you to be committed uh, to God and to the word of his grace, and you've also got to be committed to serving others because it's not about you. And he used his own life as an example for that. But then as we come to verse number 36, we see the apostle Paul now spending his last few minutes with those leaders there in Ephesus. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down. Man, what would it have been, been like, you know, to see him there? And I was thinking about it as he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And he fell to his knees there in front of those guys. Woo. And he says, and he prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. In that Middle Eastern way of greeting and of saying goodbye, they embraced him and kissed him and had that time together, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And it says that they accompanied him unto the ship. Man, what a, what a beautiful picture of the relationship of the believers here. Man, genuine Christian friendship. Paul had cared for them. He had loved them. He had wept with them. And now we see them responding back to him in that same way with care and with weeping and with love. 
and sorrow, honestly, over his weeping. And so they prayed together, which is always a great practice when you're sorrowing, by the way, (laughs) to pray, man, go to the Lord in prayer. And they took him to the ship that was going to carry him on his journey. You know, like Paul, all of us as believers can build strong relationships with one another by sharing and caring and sorrowing and rejoicing together, praying with one another. And like Paul, one of the best ways to build relationships is also by just giving away oneself to the gospel and to others. It is not surprising to me to see that those men walked along with him and I imagine stood on the shore (laughs) watching as his ship went, maybe to see the last of the sail to kind of go over the horizon there of the Aegean Sea. And then to have the weight of that, you know what, Paul is not with us any longer. I'm sure there was discussion. What do you think he meant? And maybe one of them said, well, I think it was pretty clear that no longer should we ask, what would Paul do? We're to ask, what would Jesus do? No WWPDs on their bracelets, right? It was WWJD. It's all about Christ. It's about him. He's the one we need to rely on because Paul's not going to be here any longer. We are not going to receive that leadership from him anymore. It's the great idea to me of, of, of the individual local church and its commitment to God and to God alone, not to a person or a personality or a denomination. It is about being a local church that is serving here in our community and serving one another because we don't have to rely on men because we have Jesus Christ. We have his salvation and we have him. I'm sure that as they left that moment and returned to Ephesus, I'm sure on that 78-kilometer journey that they would have walked together, I'm sure they had a lot of discussions. Okay, guys, what are we going to do going forward? How are we going to structure the church body there in Ephesus? Let's lead them. Let's love them with the same kind of passion that Paul has showed us. You know, as I look at Paul's Ephesian pastor's retreat, (laughs) I can't help but consider the richness and the relevance of the metaphor here of the pastor and the leadership as shepherds of the flock. Somebody once said, a pastor is not a cowboy roping and tying up people to control them, you know, (laughs) and throwing them over his hip and dragging them around. A pastor is not a cowboy, nor is a pastor a, a CEO, where it's all about the numbers and all about a certain way and all about structuring things this way or that way. And a pastor is also not a celebrity. (laughs) He's not a rock star that pops in from the back room and tosses off his cape and preaches his message and then disappears out the side with no relationship or, or, you know, just making the, the, calling the shots from his high place, not relating at all to anyone. A pastor is a shepherd. And a true shepherd, a real shepherd will know the flock. He will care for the flock. He will pray for the flock. He will feed, for, feed the flock and he will protect it from those wolves and from the dangers that come within. And this is the calling of the spiritual leader, the calling of the spiritual leader. And it is what we need to look for as a church family. You need to look for this in me. You need to look for this in our leadership and not only just look for it, but you need to encourage it. You need to pray it into your leadership's life. Pray it into my life, I beg you. Pray it into those that are leading here and and help me and help keep me accountable uh, in leadership. We must be so careful, church, that we do not build our philosophy of pastoral ministry based off of our own image in our minds or off of our past pastor, right? (laughs) Because I'll tell you what, if you compare me to your last pastor, if you came from a different church or whatever your situation, if you compare me to your last pastor, guess what? It's not going to match up, okay? I am not your last pastor. (laughs) I I am not that spiritual mentor that you love and that cares for you so much. Uh, I love and I care for you and I want to be your mentor. But you understand what I'm trying to say here. 
We can't build our ideas off of that. We need to build it off of the word of God. And then we need to support it and encourage it in our leadership. And to me, it's such a balance of having a firm understanding of the truth of God and balancing it with the grace of God. Recognizing that your leadership here at City Baptist are human just like you. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.